I'm Meg Malone, Vermont Edition digital producer. And I'm Vermont Edition producer Sam Gill-Rosen. Earlier this summer, Vermont Edition spoke with the leading candidates in the gubernatorial race, hearing their views on the top issues facing the state in a series we called Meet the Candidates. In advance of the Vermont primary on August 9th, we've gathered our conversations with all five candidates together in one podcast. In June, Bob Kinzel spoke with Republican Bruce Lisman about his positions on gun control, marijuana legalization, health care, and more. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Bruce Lisman, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Bob. Good to see you. So let's start off talking about health care. It's uh, certainly an issue on many people's minds. You've been very critical of the operations of Vermont Health Connect, the state's health care exchange, and the technical problems that it's had over the years. Now, the Shumlin administration says most of those problems have been worked out. And if that's the case, why do you think Vermonters would benefit from leaving Vermont Health Connect and having Vermont join the federal exchange? Sure. <clears throat> well, this is a $250 million project by now. And for all I know, it's uh, $300 million and it costs 56 plus million dollars a year to maintain. And it hasn't gone through uh, traditional, I would say, upgrades that would be due by now. He has said numerous things in the last several years, and I'm sure you and your listening audience would remember their own special brand. But the point is, uh, they have no credibility. My own view is, at this stage, it's easier than uh, to go to the federal exchange than uh, continuing on what I think is a road to nowhere. <clears throat> I think we know enough now to say that we don't believe in them. And the trouble with Healthcare Connect is it affects people directly. It's really one of those bad policy ideas that got executed badly, and the outcome is it's mean uh, to those at the other end of it. And so it doesn't work, and I've been saying for a while, we should kill the mandate that would force people into it. That's not the purpose of the ACA and Affordable Care Act. And uh, we should move off this thing into the federal exchange. Now, if Vermont does move to the federal exchange, Vermonters will no longer be eligible for state premium subsidies and reductions in their deductibles and their out-of-pocket caps. So if you move to the federal exchange, if that's your plan, won't you actually substantially increase health care costs for many middle-income families in Vermont because that financial assistant is going to be lost? No, you're wrong. Uh, so uh, it's about $11 million, though no one knows exactly, but we think it's about $11 million, let's call it plus or minus. Uh, we have the capacity to deliver that money any which way we want. Right now, we do it through the health care exchange related to the premiums people pay. In fact, one of the problems with that is the arcane nature that it gets chewed up with the insurance companies, mostly Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is in part why they keep billing the state because of their inability to fully capture the result of that premium discount. So we can move them to the federal exchange. They'll continue to get the federal benefits for as long as they're alive. And we can separately give them their $11 million in any way we want. We could raise it if we want or lower, but we could do exactly what we do now. In my opinion, it would lower uh, because of the cost to the insurers, mainly Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, effectively lower their cost because right now they're spending a lot of money and time trying to collect money from the state. We would possibly make insurance a little cheaper. So you'll probably do it in the form of perhaps a tax credit, but how, however you do it, it's going to come after the fact, as opposed to reducing the, the premium at the time that people are pay it. And for some folks, that's going to be a problem. Why I'm not sure why you say that. We can do it, uh, having looked into it a little bit, we have the flexibility to offer it any way we want. It can be coincident with 
uh, paying premiums. It could be right before it. Uh, I'm not sure the state is able to do that, but we're certainly capable of doing that. Let's look at the larger issue. What's your plan? What's the best way to provide universal access to health care for all Vermonters? So universal health care access is code words for lots of things. So I'd like to know exactly what your question is. Are you asking for a single-payer system? No, I'm looking for your plan to ensure that all Vermonters have access to affordable health care. Yeah. So let me just change it a little bit then to give you an answer, which I think uh, fits immediate needs first, and then move on to what what I imagine our health care system should look like in a broad way without uh, uh, slogans and and acronyms as best I can manage. Uh, First... Uh, let me say, kill healthcare connect, move to the federal exchange. Let's not talk about it anymore. Uh, second, by the way, you have to stabilize the files because they're uh, uh, likely uh, uh, not usable in its present format, and uh, even the feds won't talk to us about it. Uh, so we'd have to spend some time and money on that. Uh, second, we need to audit Medicaid. Uh, the governor uh, increased enrollment, didn't have a good plan to pay for it. Uh, we need to find out if people are ineligible. Now we know, of course, there's some percentage that are not. But we also need to know the nature of the people in Medicaid. Are they healthier for being in it? Do they have equal access to what they had before, equal access to you who might not be in Medicaid? Uh, is their health better for being in the plan? And we need to know, Bob, what kind of benefits? there? Because it's a high cost. These are high cost programs for a state. And so we need to know what benefits people are actually using. It's possible that we offer benefits at a cost that aren't well used. And finally, uh, as other states have discovered, we need to understand better our own administrative process so that we could decide uh, upon looking at it whether it's the most efficient way to deliver services. And third, there's uh, the all-payer waiver is moving along at a very steady pace. Yet another story in, in I think, Vermont Digger. I could be wrong, but I think it was Vermont Digger today or yesterday. Uh, talking about uh, now and uh, uh, a memo of understanding with it let me just say so this is this is new it's very large it is uh, largely unknown to the public it may not be I'm we sorry. should we should explain what the all-payer waiver is well this is uh, uh, this is a, a part of the ACA so one of the mandates of ACA is to change the nature of health care in a sense of uh, not so much payment for service but rather payment for the health of a population set, I think, just to sum it up. And they give some mandates and years in which they want to happen. They also mandated uh, these things called uh, ACOs. Uh, uh, they're, uh, they're really like uh, health care management, so they would be responsible for a population set that might include you or me. So uh, the ACO that the hospitals have really sponsored has been the prime a negotiator with Green Mountain Care Board, which in turn is negotiating with the CMS, those who operate Medicaid and Medicare. This thing is uh, moving along at a what I think is a very fast pace, considering hardly anybody outside of the hospitals really understands it. So uh, those who are dependent on those kind of funds, uh, such as the designated agencies to do the social service work of our state, are on the outside looking in. I'm not speaking for them, but if but it is clearly has a more uncertain future. Uh, this is a proposition that it would sweep in uh, Medicare, Medi- Medicare benefits, though law says they can't change them. Nonetheless, the state would now be uh, the responsible party. Uh, these are such big things that, in my opinion, whether it's good or not, and I'm not saying it's good, we should stop, slow it down, broadly publicize what it means what it does, how does it change the nature of health care? 
What is the cost of it? Who pays for it? What's the population set and how do we measure their relative health? It's so big, it dwarfs, in my opinion, the discussion of single payer, which nobody completely understood. Uh, that's why I say be careful of how you describe things. And, and that had tremendous publicity and lots of debate publicly. This has had none of that. It, it is done so quietly that people rightfully would say, not only is my government not listening to me, they're not actually telling me. So the concept is do away with the current system known as fee-for-service. So every time you have an interaction with the health care system, somebody charges a bill. And the idea is if you have more coordinated care, you will be rewarding health care providers for providing quality services to the patient. But your argument is nobody really knows how this is going to work out? Wouldn't you want to know? I mean, you're a journalist, but you're also a Vermonter, so you should know. And I think this should be broadly discussed because, uh, first, this is, uh, uh, this is organized by the hospitals. It's yet another monopoly in our state. I, I, I happen to love our hospitals in the state. They provide great care. But the other part of this is this doesn't describe the nature of the care or how we're going to measure it or what it means literally to you or to me or to your listening audience. I think these are basic things we're supposed to be discussing. It's big enough. I mean, this dwarfs most things we talk about here. Uh, this is big enough that we ought to be sitting around and having those normal discussions with people barking at each other, but also asking good questions, saying, well, what does it mean to me? And what does it mean to my neighbor or my family? And how does this, how does this change the nature of health care here? If it's the right thing to do, then let's talk about it. And if it's the wrong thing to do, let's talk about it and stop it. We've been discussing health care. Bruce, let's talk about uh, guns. All three Democratic gubernatorial candidates are backing an expansion of the background check system to include all gun sales, including all private sales. They also want to ban the sale of military-style assault weapons. What's your view on this issue? Well, we differ. It's not just a Republican-Democrat thing, but I happen to believe the Second Amendment is important and too important to chip away at. I believe Article 16, our own Constitution, Sportsman's Bill of Rights, rights are also important, and so I differ with them and believe that our laws are sufficient and uh, we should look elsewhere for solutions. Where else would you look? Well, uh, mental health system nationally has been underfunded, including uh, our state. We could t- I hope we t- have a chance to talk about that separate subject. Um, I think uh, it's clear now that uh, if we ask the FBI, and I'm no expert certainly, to do more, then uh, we should invest in them so they're able to do more. So do you think or do you not think that having expanded background checks for all gun sales would help keep guns out of the hands of some criminals? I'm sure sure there's some place, there's a crack in that sentence that I'll find out later I didn't understand. But the answer generally is no, and so I don't support expanding it. And on the idea of what weapons people should be able to own, the Democratic candidates would say there is no need for any individual Vermonter to own a military-style assault weapon. What is the reason that a Vermonter should be able to own that weapon? Well, that's a subject uh, for those people who own them. I I think without I think I don't know what the Democrats, uh, Democratic candidates are saying exactly, uh, but it's a little presumptuous of them saying uh, people don't need that. I say, again, uh, we have uh, rights and I stand with those rights. Let's go to our callers and talk to David in Duxbury. 
Hey, David, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, sir, my concern is the, the size of government and the cost of, of Vermont government. Uh, I've got some small businesses, and in the last couple of years, the fees that we pay, the licenses have dramatically increased, well, 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 maybe 20% uh, per year, which is just out of sight. In addition, the amount of regulation increases. Uh, when we started a bed and breakfast a couple of years ago, it was one page for lodging um, regulations. Now it is moved to or is about to move to 28 pages in regulations, a 28-page increase. And I, I just think that's ridiculous, and we need to rein in both the cost of government and the uh, the cost that's associated with the regulations that the government is is imposing on us. All right, Thank David, very thanks very much for your phone call. Let me just expand that with an email that we got from Steve in Middlebury. Uh, David is curious about your plan. Would you reduce the size of state government? Steve wants to know, are there some programs in state government that you would actually expand? So as you look at the entire budget, can you say to us, all right, here's some areas that I really think we ought to be reducing. And if I'm elected governor, here's some areas I think we ought to put uh, more money into. Yeah. One, so one at a time, I'd like to answer the caller's question first because he's right on the button. It's a very perceptive question. A small business fellow who's filling out his own forms knows perfectly well that something has happened recently, which is the layer of requirements has risen without commensurate returns. There's a bunch of things he said, though. Uh, first, uh, uh, it's not so much the size of government, in my opinion. It's the effectiveness of government. We ought to have the size that we need to do what it's supposed to do and do it well. In the case of fees and taxes and surcharges and with property taxes, they've increased by $700, $700 million in six years. There are 626,000 of us in the state. That is a mega-sized increase with not enough to show for it. And that limits our capacity to spend on big items that are in front of us that in some cases mandate, in some cases we want to mandate them. So the cost to operate a business, the cost to live here, the cost to work for others and employ others is up a lot. So that's, we call it affordability or the cost of doing business or the cost of living. One answer to that is to show you a list of every single tax and fee and surcharge that's that's out there and what it's increased over the last six years, and you're going to be astonished because what you see is, of course, for your business, but uh, for those who would hunt or fish or uh, registrations or other kinds of things, they've increased a lot. And I think the power of people's eyes on this and a sense of indignation about what our government has done uh, about the cost of living and affordability will make everyone reconsider. And so I'm glad you called because small businesses have bared an important brunt of the higher cost of doing business. In terms of uh, the budget, I, so I, uh, if I could tell you, uh, I have said over a period of time, uh, because of the excess of spending and using one-time funds and also moving money around, uh, we have just about exhausted our potential and yet have big funding needs in front of us which we could talk about. So I've said we need to recharge our balance sheet, and I propose uh, uh, growing the budget by no more than 2% a year for the next three years. We've grown it at a 5-plus percent rate with an economy growing nationally at no more than 2 really less than 2%, likely something ahead of us not going to be growing as fast either. And so to recharge, I say 2% a year for the next three years, uh, and I also believe the economy will be growing modestly, and find efficiencies with a 
different type of manager than we're used to, different type of agency heads, and are working really with the employees of the state who really know what to do, find ways to save uh, one to one and a half percent per year over the next uh, three years. So I don't want to be abrupt about uh, killing programs or hurting people. I'd like to really slow the rate of growth. Just as an example, over some period of time, AHS sorry, uh, has grown at a rate of 7 or 8% a year. A&R at less than 2% a year, and economic development likely has taken a pay cut over those years. Uh, uh, not suggesting today we change that, but that's where, the orient- that's where the money has gone, and I think we do need to reprioritize. Let's talk to Sean, who is calling from Colchester. Hey, Sean. Hey, uh, Bruce. Uh, good, good to talk with you. Hello, Mitch. I, I just wanted to double-check um, or ask Bruce a question. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Uh, given the uh, presumptive Republican nominee, Donald Trump, for the presidency, I'm really curious about, as a governor uh, from the Republican Party, uh, or at least a governor, candidate, um, where you feel that you're aligned with Donald Trump where you differ from him and whether you intend to support him as presidential candidate. I can take my response off here. Okay, thanks, Sean. Sure. I wasn't able to hear all of it, but I got the gist of it. Uh, So uh, what I've said is uh, I'm waiting, and I supported Governor Kasich and had supposed that he would go to the uh, convention. Uh, I was surprised, like other people were. And so I've said I'm uh, watching what he does and what he says and who he surrounds himself and who he might choose as a vice presidential uh, uh, nominee, his uh, running mate, and uh, I'll wait and see. I don't think uh, – I, I don't spend a lot of time on it, mostly because I'm working seven days a week, roughly uh, 15 hours a day, and I'm in the car a lot. So I don't uh, hear or, or certainly don't see uh, the things that you're probably seeing on all those cable shows by the time I get home. Um, I'm not watching uh, television, so I – might miss something if there's something that prompted the call. But I, I'm watching and uh, I'm running my campaign, uh, and I guess he'll run his campaign. Uh, and for the moment, that's where I am. So when you look at some of the positions that Donald Trump has taken, do you feel like there are some areas where you agree with him and there are some areas where you disagree? Could you uh, outline those for us? I'm not sure I'm an expert on his positions. I've, I've said even here uh, that there are some things he has said that I – uh, find uh, uh, repulsive, and I don't believe in separating people by uh, religion. I don't believe in calling people names. But the other thing is that he has appealed clearly to uh, some kind of need in our country. So you've got a group of 24-year-olds supporting a 74-year-old candidate, Senator Sanders, and there's something connected, and you've got a self-styled billionaire connecting with people in areas who aren't thinking about making lots more money, they're thinking about their job and what's happened to their community. And, and both sides say, hey, it's either rigged or that nobody's listening to me. And so in that sense, there's something very important going on. And I believe it exists here in Vermont. I mean, Vermonters don't, when I'm on the road, and I'm on the road every day now, seven days a week, I rarely, I rarely get the question about Donald Trump or presidential politics or things like that. What I do hear and I've been hearing it for a while, is this government well, isn't listening to me. And they continue to experiment on us, and they continue to do things that I don't understand. And, they, and that chorus that says they aren't listening to me is as real here as it is, I think, in other states. 
Earlier we were talking about fees that the small business owner talked about. I wanted to look at sort of the broader issue of general taxation. Uh, when you look at the way that Vermont pays for its budget, generally using a personal income tax, sales tax, rooms and meals tax, when you look at the balance of all that, would you like to be able to reduce tax burdens in some areas and perhaps raise them in others in order to stimulate the Vermont economy? What do you think about the balance of those taxes? I think our tax structure is generally too high. I Progressive tax taxation is, in my opinion, a good thing. So let's not discuss the philosophy underneath it. Uh, but that higher increase, that $700 million tax is not a freebie. It hits all of us in one fashion or another. To imagine it doesn't affect the cost to live here or work here or to employ others here is to live in a, in a land that's not real. Our economy is suffering. Chittenden County is uh, the center of it, and it's growing at a rate less than the national average. Outside of Chittenden County, and Bob, the further away you get from that, of the thinner, uh, more fragile, even older the economy looks. Whether some of the towns, Southern End, Bennington, Brattleboro, Rutland, have their own separate issues, Newport and St. Jay, others do. Population hasn't grown in the vast majority of our counties. And that tells you a lot about where the economy is. On the matter of taxes, I have none that I would raise, uh, but I do have some that I would. Uh, think about and recommend that we reduce. So I said in April, uh, after listening to retired veterans, uh, that we are one of uh, seven or so states uh, that still tax retirement benefits for those of vets who retire here. There are 45,000 or so veterans. There are under 4,000 of them that have retired here. Uh, we shouldn't be taxing them. We give speeches all the time about thanking them, uh, and uh, we should just do something. My father, if he were here, would yell in my ear to do something. And so I would eliminate that. It's roughly $5 million, likely less than $5 million. I think the legislature would feel uh, good with a round of applause they receive, not from raising taxes, but from lowering those taxes. And I think, frankly, it's in some small enough that we can find a home for it. On a related basis, at the very same time, I said we're down to one of the last nine states that still taxes Social Security benefits. Uh, and uh, in the oldest, uh, second oldest state in the country, uh, we need to consider over some period of time how to reduce the burden. It's a big hunk of our budget. It's, it's, it's a lot of revenue dollars, Bob. But the truth is that in this kind of state, people living on fixed income, often Social Security is not a lot of money for some people, but is a significant amount of money for everyone. I think we need to consider it. I'm a little surprised that my opponent, uh, Lieutenant Governor Scott, just casually mentioned it a couple times this week on, on air, including uh, the station and another one. Uh, I'm sure he heard from the same veterans I did over the last 15 years and never said anything. And I'm even told the Democrats in favor of it. So I think that it's, it's good that people are getting behind this. A, a little odd that my opponent found this moment to say something. So if you don't tax Social Security benefits at the state level, I mean, that's a lot of money you've got to make up. Uh, do you know how much it would be and how would you pay for it? Well, wait a minute. On retirement benefits for veterans, I've said we can do that now or phase in over two years. On Social Security, it is a big number, north of $100 million, and therefore it's significant enough to say this could be an aspirational goal. Uh, let's put together a plan to do it. Maybe we start at the very low end and roll upward. Uh, maybe we phase it in over time. But it's large enough that I say this is something we should do 
and we don't yet have a, uh, I don't think we'd have a plan today to do it. So, but this is important. We have retirees here. Uh, one of the fastest growing parts of our demographic population, people north of 65 years old. Let's keep them here. Let's also keep them here so that they're safe and, and happy. Wanted to ask you about the legalization of marijuana. Some of the Democratic candidates uh, are definitely supporting that. We saw the legislature consider it this year. What are your thoughts about that subject? I've, I've written about it and I've spoken about it. I say no, not now. Uh, and I've been pretty consistent about it. I think the state's uh, expectations for revenue is overstated. They understated the cost to develop a regulatory framework. I think there are real issues with on-the-road driving and testing for it. I think we uh, bring in uh, 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 this will become a destination. We're not always going to be happy with who's here. And Colorado's had an experience that says it hasn't been ideal. And so my suggestion is let's wait. Now, I favor uh, the decriminalization. Seemed easy. I believe uh, it has medicinal value. I should tell you my late wife used it in her last year of life, and uh, she found it helpful, and and I I believe it did help her. And so if it serves a medicinal purpose, I I think we should encourage it. But I'm, I'm against the commercialization of it. So backers of legalization say that the current policy of prohibition clearly hasn't worked and that state regulation would be a better way to deal with this issue. So why are they wrong? Well, they may not be completely wrong. If the idea was to stop everyone from using it, it didn't, it didn't work. We have a black market of some size. It's not clear to me that we understand well enough what's happening in the other states that have legalized it or the process by which they've gone through I'm concerned about those who drive on the roads and asking our state police or local police forces to regulate behavior for us without a proper test. I think there's some concern. The Colorado experience says we have uh, kids who are expelled from school, who are suspended from school, increased number of kids, young and old, who found their way to the emergency room. Edibles, which uh, might not be legal here in the first iteration, legal there, have caused numerous accidents. Nearby states have complained bitterly at the cost of seizures uh, uh, as people come out of Colorado. And those are issues we have not completely dealt with. And so I don't know if they're completely right or wrong, but what I know is we shouldn't do it now. And it's it's a distraction. Honestly, if I could say it another way. You know what bothers me about this is, sure, it's, a, it's an important issue. We spent so much time on that. We spent so little time on the nature of our economy. We pass things that affect the fellow who called in in a small business, and we don't discuss him. And we don't deal with those issues. But we're happy to spend months talking about marijuana. It isn't going to add to net, net revenues. It's going to cost us money up front. I, I get it. It's more fun to talk about that than an economy that's going sour. But we need to get on it. You know, we've got just a little bit of time left, but it's been said that we learn the most in life from mistakes that we've made. I'm wondering, is there a major mistake that you've made in your life that has turned out to be a really good learning experience for you? Well, I, I, well, I manage people and things for much of my adult life. I started managing others at roughly the age of 34 or 35 and didn't come fully clothed. You know, I had never managed anything, so make your mistakes as you go. I don't know that I made a major mistake, but I learned things along the way. I learned a lot about judging talent and quickly uh, deciding you can't judge a person by a five minutes or how they look or what they say, the first thing out of the mouth. And I, 
I've really come to believe in second chances for people. Sometimes you study them and evaluate and we were I was very transparent. We ranked people, how are you doing? We tell them twice a year. But sometimes people deserve a second chance. Early on in my career I might not have, but as I got more experience well, maybe we need to manage that person a little better or give clearer guidelines or even take a second look so we actually understand the qualitative nature of it. And that came from dealing with thousands of people. Yes, and I, I, so I believe I, I'm a, I think I'm a good manager for one reason. I like people and I like engaging them. But I'm honest in telling them what I think of them and I'm expecting them to be honest in telling me what they think of me. And you learn a lot through that process. Republican gubernatorial candidate Bruce Lisman. Many thanks for being on the program today. Oh, thanks for having me. It went fast. That was Vermont Edition's Bob Kinzel speaking with Republican candidate for governor Bruce Lisman. For more from the candidates for governor, head to VPR.net, where you'll find all of our coverage of the gubernatorial race, including debates between the Republican and Democratic candidates, AMAs with each of the candidates, and the latest news on the campaigns. And of course, tune into Vermont Edition on Wednesday, August 10th at noon and 7 p.m. for results and analysis of Tuesday's primary. I'm Meg Malone. And I'm Sam Gale Rosen. Thanks for listening.